Welcome this morning. Merry Christmas to everyone. My name is Emma Carr. I have the privilege of bringing the Christmas message this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. And this morning we're here, Lord. We're hungry to hear from you about Jesus and how we can apply his Christmas story, your Christmas story, our Christmas story to our lives today. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So an unexpected Christmas. Often we come across unexpected things on Christmas. Unexpected weight gain, maybe. Unexpected guests. Unexpected food. Unexpected gifts. It was about a year ago, coming up into summer, and I felt like I'd put on a little bit too much weight over the winter months, so I was just saying to Lincoln, hey, Summer's coming up. Don't expect me to get out in my bikini this year. And it was that moment that I realized this is one of those times when you don't want your husband to fix your problem. You know, wives, you, you share what you, what you, your problems and your grievances, and you don't want them to fix it. And I heard this sound, and it was Lincoln's mind ticking over. And he's a mechanic. He, he has the need to fix things. And it was a couple of days later. He's outside. He's water blasting. He's scrubbing. And that's not unusual for him. He comes in and he says, hey, Emma, I've got a gift for you. And he's chuffed, he's excited. And I walk outside and it's this old exercise. There's going to be a picture coming up. The Victory Series. He's he's traveled to his mum's house in the back shed. He's dusted it all off and he's chuffed. He's water blasted it so hard that the front fan cage has come off. It's dangerous now. The kids aren't allowed near it because their fingers will... I was going to dice some carrots while I was exercising. It was that dangerous. An unexpected gift. And on Christmas, unexpected things happen. This year, I want to go through the Christmas story to show the highs and the lows, the challenges that Jesus faced, the obstacles, but also the victories that came. God is good, and he has a plan And he's weaving his plan throughout our lives, throughout the good times, the bad, the highs and the lows. And the story begins with Mary, who gets visited by an angel. And the angel declares to her that she's going to have a baby. It's going to be a special child. And I love how God chooses, in Mary's word, the humble servant. She's a nobody, really. She's a teenage girl, and that's the heart of God, who loves to choose the least of these to do his work. He's got a heart for those type of people. She was even from Nazareth, which is a small town, not really even on the map. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament or or in any historical books outside the New Testament. It's not a place to go, a place to be. Remember the saying, what good comes out of Nazareth? Not even a great place, and God chooses that place to raise up his child, our Messiah, God sees the unimportant. He sees the nobody, the insignificant. You don't have to be great in the world's eyes to be used by God. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to have everything going for you. God wants to use people like this. But there's an obstacle, and we know from biology classes that one person can't create life. It takes two to tango, and Mary knows this. She says to the angel, This can't happen. It's physically impossible. There's our roadblock. It's impossible. It's impossible. And the angel responds with a statement. 
But with God, nothing is impossible. And that's our victory over that moment there. Mary replies to the angel, may your word be fulfilled, which is an awesome prayer, isn't it? For us as well, God, would your word be fulfilled in our lives? It's an awesome heart right there. Okay, so we come up to another obstacle. Now Mary has to break the news to Joseph. She's betrothed to him. She's his fiance. Can you guys who are married remember back to your courtship and your husband has proposed to you or your, or your wife says yes and you're excited? And it's the same for Joseph. He's chosen the girl of his dreams and some would say she is actually the greatest woman on the face of the earth. But imagine the devastation. And I can kind of imagine it being a bit like this. Mary comes up to Joseph and she's like, hey, um, um, Joseph, how are you doing? You doing all right today? Yes. Oh, that's good. Um, I got this news and it's not what you think. Um, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Um, I'm, I'm pregnant and I know that you know that it's not your baby, but it's not what you think. It's not, and, and no, I haven't done anything wrong, honestly. Can you, can you just believe me here? And Joseph, he doesn't believe her. She explains to him that this is God's will, but he decides secretly and quietly to divorce her. And there's another roadblock in the story, another obstacle that, that God has to overcome. And actually, worse than that, the law says that if a lady, a virgin, is found to be pregnant or not a virgin when she comes to be married, they can actually stone her. So this is a life and death situation for Mary. And she must have been thinking, but I've got Jesus in me. Why are things going wrong now? I'm meant to be in the center of God's will, and I don't know why this is getting harder and harder. Does that sound familiar to anybody? All of a sudden, it must have been at night, Joseph was dwelling on what he should do, and he gets a dream, a word of guidance from God that you should still marry Mary. What she's saying is true. This little baby in you, it's conceived by God, the Holy Spirit. And it's to, fu to fulfill what I want to do. Do you remember 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah? He says in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, what are the chances of that actually happening? First, it's physically impossible for this to happen. And, and secondly, it's, it's an utterly ridiculous prediction. Imagine being Isaiah and writing that down, thinking, what am, I, what am I doing? Is this me? Is this a crazy thought or is this God? God has some crazy thoughts, some crazy ideas, but he knows exactly how to weave his way through ups and downs for our good. What about the prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem? What are the chances of that happening, especially since they're in Nazareth and she's pretty much Jew? They've got to somehow get their way to Bethlehem and cue the census now. A decree has been made that the people need to be counted and they have to travel to their own hometown and Joseph's hometown is Bethlehem. We got a picture coming up here. Figured out the distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem is around about 140, 150 kilometers. So on your left-hand side, that's the route that they probably would have taken. And I typed it into Google to see how long that would take. Approximately, you can see there about 33 hours walking. 
So that would have taken a few days. And I, I wanted to get this into my head, so it's about the same distance walking from here to Whangarei. It's a long way. And imagine being pregnant. I couldn't walk very far when I was pregnant. So they arrive in Bethlehem, and I wonder what it was like for Joseph at this point. I imagine it being like this. Oh, Joseph, I can't believe we're here. I can't wait to lie down in our room that you've booked. Uh-oh. You have booked a place, haven't you, Joseph? You know, like, you've got family. You could have told your cousins to book a place or save us a room or something. Oh, no, Joseph says, oh, no, you've got Jesus in you. Everything's going to be sweet. Everything's going to fall into place. <laughs> Sometimes we have to do a little bit of work ourselves, don't we? So they knock on the door, and there's no room in the guest room. They find a stable, which would have been a, a cave nearby or or the underneath floor of the house where the animals stay. <laughs> when we look at the nativity scenes, they're pretty, pretty cool. They're pretty tranquil. They're pretty idyllic. Oh, that looks nice. There's a donkey and a cow, and the lambs are always looking at Jesus, and it's so cute. And sometimes it's a cat or a dog. <laughs> um, I grew up on a farm, and the sheds weren't that tranquil. They, they were... A, Uh, not a very nice place sometimes. I used to go to the dad's calf shed and and ride the calves. They'd come up to you. They they wanted to be ridden. They were friendly. Come up and you'd suck their hand. They'd suck your hand and you'd hop on. And and they'd scoot off and buck you off and it was fun. But if you'd landed on the ground, you would always get cow muck on you. I got banned from riding the calves because dad wondered why their backs were so bowed. (laughs) It was fun, but it wasn't a very nice place to be. I also had to pick up the horse manure often. Dad also used to spread chicken manure on the farm, on the paddocks to make the grass grow. Our farm was known as the stinky farm, and the bus would come around the corner, and people would go, poor! It was really embarrassing. (laughs) A funny verse that I think is quite amusing is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Where there is no oxen, the stable stays clean. So that says to me that if animals have been there, it's a messy place. And Jesus comes in the middle of the mess. He arrives dirt and all. I wonder what Joseph and Mary were thinking. This isn't how we pictured this playing out. And maybe your situation this morning is a little bit messy. And you're not sure how God is going to come, how God is going to weave this one through. But I love God's heart that he's not unwilling to enter the mess. He's not unwilling to go to um, the filthy place, the messy place. Maybe this morning your things aren't how you pictured it. Maybe your marriage isn't how you pictured it. Your children haven't turned out how you pictured it. Your life isn't the way you desired it, and you're feeling a little disillusioned. might have been the way Mary and Joseph were feeling when they pictured the birth of the king, the Messiah. Shouldn't it have been a bit different? I don't know. God is willing to birth something great out of a messy place. Or maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you're good enough to be right with God. (laughs) The thing we need to do is not be right with God before we ask him to come in. We ask him to come into our lives, mess and all. And what happens is we don't have to work hard beforehand to clean ourselves up to be right God, by his Holy Spirit and by his power, he cleans us from the inside out. 
And he works with us, making us a, a place right for him. And I'm just going to put a picture up of the stable today, the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. This place is beautiful now, and it's all because Jesus was here. And if you can picture this as being a bit like your life, when Jesus comes, things have to get better. He cleans us up from the inside out. Now we're up to the story where the shepherds see the angels. And they give, him a, they give the shepherds the message that a baby has been born. Now the shepherds, they were a despised class of people. They were, they were low lives. They were incompetent. People thought they were thieves. They were on par with tax collectors. And again, Jesus entrusts their message to this type of people group. They even had a saying that was taught by the rabbis, if a shepherd falls into a pit, you don't have to be obliged to pull him out. That's how, that's how lower class they thought these shepherds were. They weren't even regarded worthy to be a witness in court. They were an unreliable witness, but God chooses them to be his witness. It's awesome. I love that so much. Again, it's the heart of God for the least of these. You know what happened when they saw Jesus? They ended up sharing his message to everyone who would hear. And everyone was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They became successful evangelists. Evangelist means a messenger of the good news. (laughs) I wonder who would be shepherds today in our society. Would it be the person on P who neglects their children for their habit? Would it be the homeless person, the gang member, maybe the prostitute, maybe the child thief, the criminal? I wonder what would happen if the church decided to entrust these people with the message of Jesus. I wonder if the church might miss the mark because we have this idea of what this, this is going to look like these mighty, mighty women of God, men of God, going out and sharing the gospel. Maybe we need to invite some of the least of these to help us with that job, and they will probably be far more effective. Let's go back to that verse. We're on Proverbs 14.4, about the ox in the stable. The first part I shared with you, the second part I haven't shared yet. It says, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Strong oxes make a lot of mess, don't they? Don't discount your life because of the mess you're in. Out of that mess is a strong ox that can be used for the kingdom of God. Okay, so back to the story. Joseph and Mary, they are coming to the temple. They're going to dedicate Jesus. And the sacrifice offered says that it was a pair of doves or two young pigeons. But actually they were meant to offer a lamb because in Leviticus 12.8, it says, if she can't afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. So for Mary and Joseph, this shows us that finances were a little bit low. They were a poor family. What a surprise that finances are low on Christmas. (laughs) Is that something that we find every year? So cue the wise men. 
men, they arrive to worship Jesus and they bring him gifts. What a victory God has done providing for this family now with the gifts the wise men bring. Are you starting to see a pattern? Obstacle, victory, obstacle, victory, obstacle, victory. So the wise men, they come into Jerusalem and they ask King Herod, where's this, where's this baby being born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. And Herod starts to get a little bit worried because I'm the only king here and there shouldn't be any baby kings being born. And he starts getting a bit angry and a bit jealous. It turns out that Herod devises a plan to kill this baby Jesus. He ends up trying to kill him by killing all the baby boys under two years old. Here's another obstacle in the story. Jesus' life is threatened, and it's an attack of the enemy. It's an attack of Satan, and Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mandate, and it happened in the Christmas story. All of a sudden, we see another victory. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, and he says, Get up and take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says it's during the night, and Joseph gets up immediately after hearing this dream. He drags Mary out of bed and picks Jesus up and says, we have to go now. I have heard from God. Do you know what the key to success is for this family? Right now it's Joseph. He's the head of the house. And he acts straight away on the word of God. Any men in here? There's lots of men in here. Are you the head of your house? Are you acting straight away on the word of God that you hear? Because I tell you what, us women, we want to be led by you. We desire to be led by you and we respect your leadership. I honor you for being here today, men of our church family, on Christmas Day, bringing your families here to honor the Lord. It's awesome. It wasn't convenient for Joseph. It was the middle of the night. And I just want to say that when we hear the word of God to us, don't wait for it to be convenient to act on it. Because if Joseph waited for it to be convenient, things might have been different. Things could have gotten a lot worse. And I think it's the same for us. When we hear a sermon or a message and we know God's speaking to us, don't delay. Let's put it into practice straight away because things could get worse and probably will get worse. God is good to us in the way that he guides us. Hills and valleys, obstacles and victories. Herod finally dies. Yay. Jesus um, gets to come back. Actually, Joseph gets another dream, and God guides him back to Israel. But when he gets to Israel, he gets a bit stressed because he hears that Herod's son is ruling in place of him. What's he going to do? Fear starts to arise, and God guides him again. Just go back to Nazareth and wait there. This year, Christmas, it reminds us that God has a plan. God has the power to see his purpose fulfilled in your life. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. And just one last thought. When Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, there were two prophets there, Simeon and Anna. 
and they said some amazing things about Jesus, and that astounded Mary and Joseph. And Simeon turns to Anna, and he says to her that her soul would be pierced. He, he was hearing from God a prophecy that eventually Mary would have to endure seeing her son die. And as part of the Christmas story, we see a glimpse of what's to come, the death of our Messiah. <clears throat> Christmas is hard when a loved one dies, especially the year after, the year after that, the year after that. When families come together, we remember who's passed away, and it hurts. And sometimes we have to put a smile on our face because it feels like everyone else has moved on. Maybe this Christmas, you're in an impossible situation. You can't see a way out. Maybe there's an attack on your marriage and things are just getting worse. Maybe you know some people that don't have room for Jesus. Maybe even in your family, there's no room for Jesus. Maybe you're disillusioned about a situation. It's a mess. It's not the way you pictured it. Maybe you feel unworthy, unqualified to make a difference for Jesus. Maybe finances are low. Maybe you can feel the attack of the enemy on your life. You have fear about a situation. Maybe someone close to you has passed away and grief has all of a sudden come again like a wave. My only answer to all of this to the left-hand side is that God is good. God is trustworthy. God is faithful and God has a plan. And the reason why I feel like I'm getting upset is because I know this is true because we've lost a, a child as well. At this Christmas, I'm reminded of Romans 8.28, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. Are you called according to his purposes? Because we need to somehow get from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. Are you called according to his purposes, or have you been living for your own purpose? Because of sin, we're all stuck on the left-hand side, and sin separates us from God. It causes pain, but God sent his son to die for us. God's plan is not to leave us on the left-hand side. It's not to leave us in our pain. Have you dealt with your sins? Are you right with God this morning? The only way we can go from the left-hand side to the right-hand side, the only way that we can be part of God's plan, the plan that gets weaved through, through the good times and the bad, is through what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid our debt. He died on the cross, and he didn't stay dead. He conquered death when he came back to life. <laughs> now through Jesus, we get to experience the right-hand side in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Through Jesus, we know that nothing is impossible Marriages are restored through Jesus. Jesus is not afraid to enter the mess. He gives our life purpose. He is our provider, our protector. He guides us through the ups and the downs. And through Jesus, 
we receive eternal life. I'm going to pray to get with you guys right now. I'm going to ask the music team to come. Father God, I honor you for who you are, the God who is good, the God who has a plan. God, this morning we ask that you would make a way through impossible situations. This morning we ask for you to enter the mess and do what only you can do to clean us up, to clean up our circumstances. And God, I thank you for those of us who are on the mountaintop who have seen your victory. We praise you, God, for what you've done in our lives. And we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.